0: So it's very good to see you here this evening, and I understand you don't normally have Sunday evening events. so well done for being here. If there's a a chart that Aubrey keeps, I'll make sure you get an extra star on the chart. (laughs) Okay. Now, you know, just being here this morning, uh, I think what has really struck me is that something very good is happening here at the Church of the Incarnation. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say when I see, and, and have had the pleasure of meeting some of you, that God is at work. And I think what is so exciting about the Church of the Incarnation is that you are ready and poised to be, and this is our theme for the week, I think, at least for me it's the theme, you're ready for the sake of the city, for this city and its surroundings. In many ways, I think you are already impacting Harrisonburg and surrounding areas. But I want to talk to you tonight about spiritual formation. And so, first of all, the bad news. (laughs) You know, as preachers, we always have the good news and the bad news. And I want to say this very unequivocally to you that the vision of being for the city is not enough. You may be poised, you may be ready, you may be fired up with the potential, as I feel, of what Church of the Incarnation could do in this area and further afield, but having that vision is not enough. You and I have to be formed to become like the vision. Your own lives, communally and individually, and our lives have to be formed ever more deeply so that we become vessels fit to carry the Christ light into his world and to work redemptively alongside him in his good creation. And so, even as we think of the marvelous possibilities, I want to remind you and to remind Aubrey and to those of you who are in leadership here, that even as you cast this very creative vision, don't neglect taking spiritual formation with the utmost seriousness. Being converted, being orthodox, knowing the Bible, these are wonderful things, but they are not enough. And uh, Jonah, I think, is very instructive in this respect. He knew God. He had tasted the Word of God. We saw that this morning, and I hope you all know the way the book of Jonah starts. And the Word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, this was not a new experience. So he knew God, he knew the Word of God, and as far as we know, He performed effective ministry, but the whole book of Jonah is there to tell us that you can know God, you can know the Bible, you can have an enormous vision, but it's not enough. Jonah had all those things, but the book of Jonah is a marvelous story, I think if I may say so, a fairly sobering story. That people who know God, who experience His Word, who have a vision for the service of God, for ministry, can still be in need of fairly radical spiritual formation. And you see, that is true of Jonah. If he was to exercise his priestly vocation, and that's really what was at stake here, that he was to represent God in Nineveh, and amongst the nations of the world, because our God is not the local deity. He is the creator of heaven and earth. And that's what Jonah was forced to confess before the sailors. If we really are to participate in such an extraordinary calling, then we are in need of spiritual formation. I like to think in terms of the two metaphors that Aubrey used. The journey in and the journey out. Now, you know, when we speak of for the sake of the city, the thing that naturally comes to mind is, you know, what can we do for the city? And that's uh, the, the metaphor of the journey out. And churches always make the mistake... A lot of them do in my opinion, in so focusing on the journey out that they forget that the foundation of the journey out is the journey in. And the journey in is the journey very, very, very deeply into Christ. It is the journey of formation so that we get to know God better and better so that we are formed to become like Him, so that these clay jars uh, receive a degree of healing amidst the cracks, so that in the midst of the darkness that is out there, we become, you know, kind of adequate vessels. We'll always be clay vessels, but we become adequate vessels for carrying the Christ light into the world. And so Margaret Self, who is an author that I love very much, and uh, this will shock you a little bit when I say it, but so it should, she says, you guys in Harrisonburg must make sure you're burning the candle at both ends. <laughs> okay. no. You know, that, that sounds like a kind of hyper vision for for the sake of the city. But what Margaret uh, Sylph is actually alerting us to is that, you know, if the candle is going to shine in the darkness, it has to be deeply immersed in the oil from which it's drawing its strength. And, you know, especially in Lent, we are reminded, aren't we, that for the sake of the city is the journey to the cross— you know, there's one commentator who says when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, in the ancient Roman world, if you took up a cross, where do you think you were going? There was only one destination, which was crucifixion. And so, you know, I don't want to scare you about the vision Of Church of the Incarnation. I think it's phenomenal. I think this is very exciting. This is why I want to talk to you about it, because I think if God is calling Church of the Incarnation to contribute to the flourishing of Harrisonburg and beyond, and I think if God is calling you for the sake of the city and this world that is so desperately in need of the Lord Christ, do you know what I then suspect? God will be already at work in your lives, forming you. And if I know anything about our God, some of you will be wondering what the heck he's up to. Because you know the vision, don't you? Well, God must just get in line with your vision. And what you have to discover is that it is God's city. It is not your city And yes, you may catch glimpses of his vision, but you are not God. And that's what spiritual formation is all about. In the 20th century in which we live, human hubris is one of the great toxins in the very culture that we breathe and swim in every day. Over virtually every university in the Western world is written, The Autonomy of Humankind... We are the center of it all. And even in the church, you know, we have this tendency. So now there's a new vision for the sake of the city. And before, you know, very long, it's our vision. And then before we go much past that, we're saying, well, you know, God, you better get in line with our vision. And one of the things spiritual formation is designed to do, and I think this is an incredibly hard thing, it is to decenter the human ego you know thomas merton says that in our christian lives there is hardly an issue we struggle with that is not connected with the ego and in the bible wisdom is the process of formation of reaching the point where you are creature and This is kind of even uh, wrong language, but you create the space for God to be God. In actual fact, what happens in that process is that God works in you, so that there's an interiority opened up in you, which, which allows you to see what is real, which is that God is God, and you are creatures. And then what unfolds beyond that is that for the sake of the city is not the Church of the Incarnation is now going to start this radically new thing of uh, bringing Christ's presence to bear on Harrisonburg. Then it becomes a far more humble and a much, much more exhilarating vision that this God of ours is the missionary God— That just as he was passionately concerned about Nineveh, this God we serve is already passionately concerned about Harrisonburg, long before Church of the Incarnation came on the scene. That this God is already doing things out there in Harrisonburg. And then the call is, you know, Lord, we are limited. We are clay vessels. Some of you will say, if we're honest, you know, Lord, look at my vessel. It's got a big crack in the side. And look at Dr. Spears. He's not perfect. I supervise his doctorate. I know he's not perfect. <laughs> he's nearly yes. <laughs> so now I just want to spend 20 minutes telling you stories about Aubrey. <laughs> For a fee, I'm willing to do it. Okay. So I just want now to take you through. Now, now spiritual formation. So I want to urge you in the life of your church... Uh, to be burning the candle at both ends, okay? And uh, the, you will be a rare church if you do that. Uh, I should also tell you you'll be a messy church because uh, you'll have to start being real, you know? So you can't sleep with a coat hanger in your mouth on Saturday night just so that you come to church with a smile on Sunday. It's got to authentic. That's what what this is about, authenticity. And then it means that in all of our lives, you know, I have a counselor friend, and we often say to, to one another, you know, the world and ourselves are far more broken than we imagine. And the redemption of Christ is much bigger than we ever imagined. So let me just give you... Uh, I've, I've made a list of five things, six, and I was aware this morning, and uh, I'm aware again tonight. I really need hours to do this with you. So should we just carry on till midnight? <laughs> no, we're going to be finished by 7:30, and, and that's wise as well. So first of all, uh, you know, I want to alert you to the fact that spiritual formation is gloriously individual. So it is also communal, and it's very apparent to me from participating in your exhilarating liturgical contemporary worship that you're being formed at a communal level. But I want you to notice from the book of Jonah, it isn't, and the word of the Lord came to the Israelites. This is now, of course, through the prophets, the word of the Lord does come to the Israelites, But Jonah is a very particular narrative of spiritual formation, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Okay? And so, although there's always a communal dimension to spiritual formation, it is wonderfully particular and terribly individual. And so, it comes to Jonah. And so, you know, you may just, as you're sitting there, you may want to ask yourself, what would it look like and the word of the Lord came to Craig, and the word of the Lord came to Aubrey, and the word of the Lord came to Janelle. Put your name in there. And then you have to fill that name with all that is peculiarly you. You know, and we're all a bit peculiar, aren't we? I mean, we're we're so individual. You know, and the children, I'm sure, will know that there's not one of us with the same fingerprints. It's a very bizarre thing, that. Have you ever thought of it? You know, uh, I love uh, Augustine as one of my great uh, heroes theologically. And in his confessions, I think it is, he, he has this incredible saying that God is more on our inside than we are on our inside ourselves. And that's because we are a mystery to ourselves. We're so particular, so unique. And now, you know, I'm aware we're not a big group tonight, but I'm glad we're not a big group because then you can ask your questions. You have to get up courage. <laughs> and, you know, but I just wish we had time uh, and, and that you and I could spend time and I could hear each of your stories and you could hear my stories. And, you know, I think what we would unearth is they are rich and they're very broken. And there are things in our stories that are wounds. And sometimes, you know, when I speak at a retreat, I did think of doing that this tonight, but I didn't know how many of you there would be here, as it turns out. I could easily have got the Spears family to help me with this. Often at a retreat, I give each person a stone, And I ask them to let that stone be a metaphor for the one thing you would really like not to have in your life. Okay, now I think for most of us, it hasn't taken ten minutes yeah. to discover that one thing. It's like, zoop. <laughs> okay, there it is. And, uh, you know, and then what I do in the retreat is I ask them uh, if that stone has shifted somehow. At the end of the retreat I, retreat, I ask them to come and place it at the cross. But that's one way of starting to connect with who you are. If there was one thing in your life that, you know, you know that one thing, that if you could just get rid of it, then you would say Julia Norwich would then be right when she says, all will be well and all manner of things will be well. You say, yes, but this one thing, okay, that's you. And what that starts to do is it starts to get close to what all of us have in our lives. We have places of wounding. Now, you you may say, you know, uh, really, Aubrey and Craig, this is getting a bit depressing, and we didn't come out on Sunday night to get depressed. But, you know, we have to get in touch with who we are, and our journeys will be full of extraordinarily rich and wonderful things. And in this fallen, broken world in which we live, there will also be very deep wounding. And, you know, uh, this may sound really terrible to you, but if you have a spiritual director like I do... And I commend that practice to you of having a spiritual director, someone who walks with you on your journey with God. So I have a a, a Catholic uh, who's very experienced, and once a month I meet with him for an hour. And all we talk about is, well, Craig, what is God doing in your life now? You know, then I bring the data, say, oh, this has been terrible, and this has been good, and I, I think I, see, I catch a glimpse of God, yeah. or well, I have no idea what God is doing, but it's really irritating, you know. But uh, if, you, if you can start to get in touch with your story and who you are, because the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and that's, you know, one of the things you've got to realize is God wants to work with you. And the really good news about those smelly, stinky, horrible wounds that you really don't want any of us to know about. It's generally the wound that very ironically is the place that yields true growth. Now that doesn't mean you must, uh, some of you may be sitting here and saying, but Craig, I don't think I am wounded. Well, hallelujah. (laughs) Don't go looking for wounds. Generally, wounds will find you. (laughs) so suffering is not something you have to go looking for it generally finds you but all of us there will be the place of the wound and the good and that's always individual you know so uh, uh, you know for some people if the word had come to us saying go you know let's see who is the worst enemy of america who would you say is your worst enemy in the world and it may be very conservative terrorist Muslim somewhere. Okay, and the word of the Lord comes to you and says, Go and proclaim judgment on Syria. Okay, some of you would be saying, You know, when can I get the next flight out of here? <laughs> okay, now, so you see, you know, you may react very differently to Jonah, but what this word did to Jonah. It put its finger on exactly the deepest wound in Jonah's life. He could affirm God's judgment. What he could never bring himself to do is to affirm that God might be compassionate and want us as covenant people, his people's enemies. That was the big, big stumbling block in his life to him becoming fully human and being able to exercise his priestly vocation of representing God in God's world. And that needed to be dealt with. And so God gets to work. And somehow the wound has a place in all of this. You know, I asked myself this question, why do you think God, uh, Jonah was so angry? Why do you think Jonah hated the Ninevites so much? I don't know, but you know who it reminds me of? as two disciples in the New Testament who had the nickname Sons of Thunder. And it wasn't because they were great preachers. Why do you think a person would be called a Son of Thunder? Because I think, like Jean Vignet says, they were what he calls prickly uh, porcupine people. Do you know those sort of people? When you approach, you have to be very careful. Otherwise, you walk away with about 30 quills. (laughs) Holy cow, what happened in that encounter? Now, why are people porcupine people? Because the wound is so deep that they cannot let you approach. Now, there'd be good reasons for that. But for them to become fully human, these things have to be dealt with. So first of all, it's very individual. Secondly, I just want, I think Jonah is, he's absolutely, it's a particular call, it's Jonah. But in the process, and I could argue this at length if you wanted me to, It gives us a picture of God's universal call that comes to all His people. And there's some uh, very good, a psychologist and an Old Testament scholar, father and son, have written two books on Jonah. And they make the point, which I think is absolutely right, that this command from God is not just a command, it's also an invitation for Jonah to be pulled outside of his narrowness and himself, and to become fully Jonah. So it's a call for Jonah to become the full person that God intended him to be, so that in the fullness of his humanity, he can represent Yahweh to the nations of the world. And, you know, this, I often ask my students this question because so many Christians don't seem to have this right. I found it so liberating when I realized this, especially as a more of an introvert. You know, the extroverts, I think, have it a lot easier because they're so comfortable with being themselves. (laughs) Whereas uh, my spiritual director said to me recently something which helped me enormously. He said, you know, Craig, in Canada and I think it's worse in America, we live in an extroverted culture. We live in a culture that's constantly on the move. You, you, you can't be still and just rest. You've got to be doing things. Now, for the extroverts, they feed off that. For the introverts, it's sheer hell. And uh, so th- this insight that, re- that I ask my students, you know, why did God save you? Have you ever thought about that and, and the young people? You know, if you've become a Christian, why? Do you want know my students say? Sorry, we go to heaven because he loved us. Yeah, but no, but I mean, what, what's the purpose? What does he have in mind for, for bringing you to himself? Now, Hans Roekmarker, the late uh, Dutch art historian, has the most beautiful answer. God saves you so that you can become fully human. And young people, you must remember that. You know, sometimes I remember at school, I used to think, you know, I'm more introverted, I'm more intellectual. You know, how does this fit with my friends? And it takes, for many of us, it's taken us a long time to come to grips with our uniqueness. But this is a beautiful thing. I think. I mean, with some people I find it a bit scary. So, I think of my friend Aubrey. I mean, what's going to happen when Aubrey becomes more fully Aubrey? <laughs> as, as an introvert, I find this a scary thought, you know. I don't, where's Janelle? I don't know what Janelle thinks of <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, but, uh, but it is a beautiful thing. That, you know, you're not called to be what you're not. You know, and, and this fits, of course, with the doctrine of creation. That, you know, it's very natural, isn't it? God doesn't give up on what he's made. What he does is he saves it, and then he restores it. And so, now, you know, Jonah, this is not a call for Jonah to become un-Jonah. This is a call for Jonah to be liberated from his ethnicity and his nationalisms and his hatred for Ninevites. So that Jonah, and Jonah's not a bad guy, Jonah's a believer, He knows God. He's had an effective ministry. But there's the stuff that needs to be dealt with. He needs to be formed. So, uh, spirituality is this glorious call to become fully human. You know what I want to just say to you? If you want to know when the Spirit is at work in your life, it is when you start becoming more truly yourself. Christianity and true religion does not close down who you are it opens it wide up and if the spirit is working in your life you should be having some truly hallelujah moments i'm becoming me <laughs> and that's good you know so there should be these these you know that this is what it's there to open up your humanity and, you know, when you meet Christians, I think the, the person who has modeled this more to me than anyone else is, do you know who Jean Vanier is? Okay, well, it's very bad because uh, he's a very prominent Canadian. You know that place to the north? <laughs> I had to say that at least once. Anyway, Jean Vanier, uh, Through he was a philosopher, worked in the Navy, taught at the University of Toronto. Through his spiritual direction... He experienced the call to work with the mentally disabled. So he started a little house in Trosley Brule in France, which has become the international movement L'Arche. But you know, uh, and I think Aubrey was there several years ago, I organized a consultation in Rome, and Jean Vernier agreed to come. And you know, when one met him, one was overwhelmed with the sense of his rich humanity. And see, you know, I often ask myself, and I want to ask you this, do you think Church of the Incarnation could ever produce another Jean Vanier or a Mother Teresa? You know, now maybe, maybe our sorts of churches have, and I just haven't seen it. But those people are formed through intense spiritual formation. And they don't become less human. I mean, Jean is this enormous guy with these great big hands. And he takes your hand in his hand and he walks with you. But he doesn't need to speak because the clay jar is so whole. It exudes Christ, the incarnate Christ. My third point is that spiritual direction is about God's work in your life. It's not about what Aubrey can do to help you, although he's your pastor and he can help you tremendously. It's not about what I can do. This is God. And the word of Yahweh came to Jonah. Not the word of Craig Bartholomew or the word of Aubrey, So this is a tremendous, you know, this is what Christianity is about. It's about God at work in our lives. And God wants to be at work in the lives of your children and in each one of you. And so, you know, what we are called to in this is to be intentionally open to God's work. That's why I want to say to you, you know, you don't go rushing out now to transform Harrisonburg. You've got to be burning the candle at both ends, and you start by burning it at this end. Because it's only as you go deeply into Christ that you will start to see what He's calling you to do in Harrisonburg. And it may be very surprising, because you're not God, remember? He has an idea what He wants to do in Harrisonburg and beyond. And so, you know, if it's about God, you've got to create the space for being deeply open to God and intentionally so. Now, you know, sometimes spiritual formation, well, inevitably, uh, sooner or later, it's connected with crises in our lives. And uh, so so it was with Jonah. You know, I imagine Jonah was quite happy in the northern kingdom. And I can see, I think I could be quite happy living in Harrisonburg. <laughs> you know, I like the house that the spears have got. I love the road. It's kind of comfy. And I can see this could be a very enjoyable existence. And sometimes, you know, what, what, what happens to get us going on this journey is some kind of crisis as it did with Jonah. And so I just want to say this to you as a church. If you are really for the city, then remember God is going to be at work forming you to be for the city. And then when you experience some mess in this congregation, and you don't need to wait. The mess is already there. It's just, you know, we keep uh, it—we're good, you know, Christian middle-class folks, so we know how to keep things below the surface— But sooner or later, you know, eruptions will take place and things will go wrong. You know, a lot of churches that I know of, they get that under the carpet as fast as possible. Because they don't really believe that the wounds are the places of growth. So, you know, within your own congregation, you will need a lot of patience. And sometimes when strange things happen to people in your congregation... Don't be quick to judge. Be ready to not understand. And sometimes when things get very messy and people go through very hard times because it happens, what you may be encountering is not mess, but the work of the Spirit forming people for the long-term ministry of this church. So, my fourth point is that spiritual formation often involves suffering. Now, you know, the terrible thing about suffering is that it's not something, you know, well, when you get older, you wouldn't like this too much, but the the, the younger people would love it if we could say, it's only after you're 25 that you'll suffer, (laughs) <laughs> of course, those of us who are older than twenty-five, no, no, no. <laughs> Let's stretch it a bit. So it would be great if you, you know, if you could say uh, it's at this point in life when you've matured to a certain point, then suffering comes. It isn't like that. The very nature of suffering is that it comes out of the left field, as it were. It's you know, it's what you don't want. It, it's the wound. You know, it presses all the buttons that you're trying to protect. So, spiritual formation often involves suffering, and uh, let me just give you some examples. So, Abraham is the great father of the promise, and Jesus is called the son of Abraham. So, you you remember Genesis 12? I hope you know Genesis 12, 1 to 3, that through Abraham all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, you see, Abraham is a classic example of what I talked about this morning, given the promise. He's part of God's story, and he's got this enormous gift that God has given to him. But you know, what has to happen then? Abraham has to become like the promise. And then you reach Genesis 22. Eventually, the heir is born when Sarah's real old. So, you know, God is going to achieve his purposes. And then the word of the Lord comes to Abraham, saying, Abraham, take Isaac, the son that you love, and go sacrifice him. Now, you know, that is a mysterious passage, but I think one of the things going on there is to be worthy of the covenant, Abraham has to be willing to relinquish the covenant. You see, it's bull's eye. You really want to serve God? You really want to serve God? You know, there are things that you have to be willing to relinquish. And in Abraham's case, the covenant itself, he had to be willing to relinquish in order to be worthy of it. And if you're interested, if any of you like philosophy, in Kierkegaard's Fear and Trembling, he has the most remarkable opening meditation on Genesis 22. Joseph. Have you ever? Do you, see, you've got to go reread these stories, the story of Joseph. It's a story of spiritual formation. A very gifted young man, but rather spoilt. See, he had baggage in his history. Well, I've never met anyone who doesn't have some baggage. Because we all come out of families, and, and you know, there's some families I have the highest respect for. I've never met a family that's perfect. So there's always some baggage, and some of us come from real screwed-up families. Then we're carrying suitcases of the stuff. <laughs> and so, you know, then God gets to work, and God does very strange things. He gets sold and, as a slave and ends up in prison, you know, and uh, then there's Potiphar's wife to deal with. And you're thinking, you know, where is God? And you know what, uh, so we could take many examples of this. And in the history of spirituality, St. John of the Cross has a description for these experiences of extreme suffering. He calls them the dark night of the soul. And St. John of the Cross, uh, in case you're interested, he was a a Catholic uh, uh, priest and uh, monk. And then there was all sorts of trouble in the order he worked for, and so some of the opponents kidnapped him and incarcerated him underground. So this was not a man who didn't suffer, St. John of the Cross. And do you know what he says about the dark night of the soul? It's those times in our life where we feel completely and utterly abandoned by God. No matter where we look, we cannot find any light anywhere. Now, do you know what St. John of the Cross says? Do you know why that's the case? Because we are not holy, and the light of God is present so powerfully that it appears to us as complete darkness. And so I say to you at Church of the Incarnation, do not disparage suffering. Now, you know, suffering, there are many elements to it. We bring it on ourselves. It's brought on upon us by the culture. There's mystery to suffering. But the one thing you must do and be is not a place that can explain suffering, but a place that is looking for the Christ in the midst of suffering. And I remember at a church in Hamilton, when a couple lost their son in an accident and they said to the church, we can't pray anymore. And the church says, it doesn't matter. We will pray for you. So, you know, if you're serious about being for the sake of the city, you know, you must remember that this journey out has to be paralleled by a deep journey in. And then you're going to need a wise community to hold you so that you can become the sort of people who are worthy to some extent to carry the light of Christ into his world. And then I have two final points. The one is that spiritual formation always involves prayer. And you know, I've been a pastor. I never wanted to leave the pastorate. My bishop forced me. To go to the seminary and teach, and then the academic career develop, but I tell students there's nothing like being in the pastorate when it's healthy. It's absolutely exhilarating calling to be a pastor and a priest. But you know, the average statistic is that most ministers spend less than 20 minutes a day in prayer. So I want to ask you, do you pray? And, you know, if you don't mind me being a little bit more direct, do you know how to pray? The evangelical world that uh, I love so much talks about prayer, but I think on the whole they have no idea, if I may be so rude as to say so, how to pray. If we now said, for the next hour, you can just devote it to being with God, what would you do with the hour? John Stott, I think it was, who said, we have to give the gift of prayer back to the church. And, you know, if you want to be for the sake of the city, we have to recover the practices of prayer. We have to learn again the role of silence. You know, we have to get away from the shopping list approach to prayer. We have to learn how to read Scripture Uh, like a hard-boiled sweet that we roll over in our tongues so that it starts to become the the body and the blood of Christ to us, that God is giving himself to us, Scripture. And then we have to learn how to be still before God. And now in the tradition of spirituality, all these things are there, but the Protestant church in particular has lost them. And my prayer is that a, a Church of the Incarnation will be a place where people are learning. And you know, it can be from uh, the, the ones who are falling asleep at the moment, right? There's no age restriction on learning how to pray. And so if some of you say, well, Craig, I'm too young. No, you're not too young. Uh, the youngest can pray. You say, oh, I'm getting too old. Oh, no, 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 you've got more time to pray. If if you're retired and so on and so forth. So this is, and you find it in Jonah. And just for your your information, in chapter 2, he uses a lot of the imagery from the Psalter. And the book of Psalms is our prayer book. So we've got to recover the prayer book. If you were a monk, you would go through the, the whole Psalter every week, chanting it. Until it would would be your prayer vocabulary. It would be the default mode of prayer. But see, we've lost it. So we would need to recover it. And then just finally, uh, if some of that is a bit heavy, you know, the goal is not heavy. His burden is light and his yoke is easy. And that is true amidst the most awful suffering and formative process. And the goal for Jonah was not to make Jonah's life hell. It was to have a prophet who could truly represent Yahweh amidst the nations. And the goal of this kind of formation is to make you like Jesus. And you know, when you become like Jesus, you won't become a religious crank. You will become fully human. And, you know, you must think of the humanity of Jesus. Jesus' humanity is one of the things I find most attractive. You know, no one would go near lepers in his society. Before he heals the leper in Mark's gospel, he touches the leper. You know, prostitutes and those people were despised in their culture. Jesus had followers from their ranks. He had two disciples who were sons of thunder. I think they had deep wounds in their lives. When the one, one of those two eventually wrote his gospel, the gospel of John, do you know how he describes himself in his gospel? The disciple who is deeply loved. That's formation. The one who reclines on the breast of Jesus. Whole masculinity. And so that's the goal.